Hello and welcome to another episode of What Comes Next, a show all about the technologies that will shape your future. I'm Rob Kellner. I'm Amy Dickens. And I'm Kwaku Akamensa. Hey guys, how you doing? I'm sniffly, man. I'm all right, but I'm sniffly. You got the plague that's going around. Yeah, man. Exactly. Everybody in the office seems to be dropping like flies. You've got it too, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I'm just recovering from it. Absolutely decimated. I, 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 I called in sick on Monday morning and just seeing all the messages of Slack of like, I'm ill, I'm ill, I'm ill, I'm ill. Um, yeah, it really, really went through the office. Uh, but no, everyone's recovering now, which is good. Um, and yeah, no feeling, feeling better. Amy, you, you're immune to it. Well, I've been stuck in a cramped studio with the two of you, and I seem to be okay. <laughs> but no, um, we have a joke in my family that famously every single year I am absolutely dead with the cold on Christmas Day. Oh, and of course, oh, no. we're like a month away from Christmas now. So I think it's something to do with being cramped into a plane. And because I always fly a couple days before Christmas and it's just like a running joke. They're just like, oh, like standard, you'll be sick on Christmas Day. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting it'll hit me later on in the year. But uh, I don't know, maybe I'll get lucky and and get it now (laughs) if that's luck. Uh, well, maybe if you sequenced your entire genome, you might find that you had a Ooh, genetic predisposition to getting colds a certain time of what year. What a segue. Thank you very much. Thank you for noticing. Um, yes, so this episode, we're a uh, really, really exciting guest. Uh, Francois Payet from um, from Circagene, um, really exciting guy, knows a lot about a variety of fascinating topics, uh, genetics, of course, um, and the future of genetic privacy too. So without further ado, um, here is the episode. On this episode of What Comes Next, Amy Quaker and I are speaking to Francois Payet, CEO and co-founder of Circagene. Circagene is a genetic testing company. If you've ever spit in a tube and had your sample analyzed to find out your heritage or any kind of predisposition to illnesses, that's what we're talking about here. Circagene's a bit different though. It's developed a really powerful method to keep its customers' genetic data completely private. So private, in fact, that not even Circagene, the company sequencing and analyzing our DNA, can actually read what the DNA says. More on that in the show. There was so much to cover with Francois. There was genetic testing, genetic engineering, the battle for data privacy, and so on. So we've decided to split this episode into two parts. In part one, which is the episode you're listening to right now, we're going to be talking about genomic sequencing, preventative medicine, and what genetic manipulation could mean for the future of the human race. In part two, which will be coming out on the 2nd of January, we'll be talking about genetic privacy, a groundbreaking technique called homomorphic encryption, and the battle to keep our private data private. If you're interested in the future of data, privacy, and corporate surveillance, you should definitely check out part two. In the meantime, here's part one, harnessing our genetic code. Francois, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. For listeners, a quick background. So we met for coffee, I think, three weeks ago now, and we, we all had a chat around what Circagene are up to and what kind of, you know, your background is. And, and as Kweku said before we turn the mics on, it was a, probably the was some of the most mind-blowing two hours of our lives. So. <laughs> you. you're, you're too kind. We're excited yeah. to get this down on, on um, audio. So before we um, touch on this, there's lots of, lots of things to talk about. If you could just tell us about, a bit about Circagene, uh, what you're up to and what your sort of vision for the development of the company is. Absolutely. So my company, Circagene, is providing genetic testing services for everybody. So all users, uh, you, me, everyone, your loved ones, so any, anyone that wants to identify and mitigate their health risk through genetic testing while preserving uh, genetic data privacy. And we really insist on that because tomorrow data privacy, especially in genetic testing, will be very, very important. As you know, DNA is really important to identify your health risk and, and act on that, but it can be used, your DNA uh, data against you. And this is, this is really serious matter that we should probably discuss more. Um, so yeah, in the development of the company itself is just insane currently. So we, we are trying to keep up with the pace, but uh, we are providing this, this service to, uh, to many customers. Uh, we launch in uh, the 25th of October, actually, here in UK. Uh, we currently have customers in five different countries, maybe six tonight. Um, and we try to uh, give the best of genetic testing for the people who really need it. Uh, I mean, 
we all know that uh, in our DNA we have some predisposition that can be good or bad. Uh, so we want to provide the, the most um, accurate, uh, actionable service to our customer. And our development plan is to go uh, obviously UK and then several European and North American countries and then to go global. Uh, so we are developing the company to be very scalable. I've never personally done any sort of self-genetic testing or sort of direct-to-consumer genetic testing, I think it's cool. Can you uh, talk me through some of, the, some of the benefits from a health consumer perspective and then also the difference between Circogene and something like a 23andMe? Yeah, absolutely. So genetic testing... Many different uses. I mean, many different. And do you want to live longer, healthier? Do you want to optimize your lifestyle? Do you want to identify some allergies? Do you want to um, predict if if you have a baby with your girlfriend? Okay, which kind of risk you have here? So you have many, many different, I would say, flavors of, of genetic testing. So it depends really your your life goals. And according to these goals, you should go to a, one particular company or another one. Uh, what we do at, at Circagene is to make sure that we provide the best of the medical knowledge to, to people. So it's really important for us to um, help people to avoid their main health risk. What we say is that we all have genetic bottlenecks, in a sense. We, we feel it. We, we know that in our families, our brother, our father, grandpa, we, they develop some disease that, were, that could be really really um, serious and, and we want to make sure that the people that wonder if they do have this kind of risk well first they know it's accurate um, and they know what to do about it why it's we are so different from all the other genetic testing services because we take the, the best of the genetic research and, and we just we don't steal the, the job to geneticists no we we work with them we industrialize their method, we monetize their method, and we bring the, this particular method, which are the best of genetics, to our platform. And uh, they have a cut. Uh, so it means that it's a kind of uh, feedback loop which is really positive for them because they can suddenly pay some PhD student to make sure that they develop the, the next version of this particular method. And it's, it's really good for everyone. So this is really different. But at the same time, our main job is to have a good industrialization process. So for instance, how to respect your privacy while doing that. So we will discuss more about our uh, patent, which is about... Uh, fully homomorphic encryption. So I will explain more. But basically, what we do, which is unique in the world, where nobody did this before, is that for the first time, we have the technology to encrypt your DNA and to work on your encrypted DNA without any decryption. There is no other technology able to do that. No, not even blockchain is able to do that. Um, and then the results are encrypted and only the final user can decrypt and read data that can be extremely sensitive and can be used against you. If you have, uh, if you have a strong predisposition to, for instance, to develop Alzheimer by the age of 45 years, you don't want this information all over internet while you're going to your next job interview. You see what I mean? It, it, DNA really, it, it does matter how you use it and how you, you keep this information confidential. So that's, that's our job, to provide accurate results, actionable results, and to make sure that today and tomorrow your privacy is respected. It's like you said, when we first met, if there is some sort of uh, data breach or an issue with your genetic privacy, uh, you can change your email password, you can change your credit card number, but you can't change your DNA. So it's, it's incredibly important that information stays secure. Yeah, I, I would even go further because tomorrow, um, how to say, quantum computing will be there. So it means that any encryption which is, which you can break by brute force approach well they will die all these encryptions so tomorrow you really need to rely on on this kind of new encryption system which are extremely robust which are quantum computing resistant and this is not easy to do this is not easy to do i mean even the enigma system it was relying on on the fact that brute force approach was probably not not a good way to tackle it, but here here in UK we 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 broke it because we had the machine able to to provide this brute force approach. Um, we can't play this this game anymore because quantum computing is just like 
orders of magnitude higher in terms of computation power. So we are not there yet, despite, despite you know, the quantum uh, supremacy announced by Google. But it's, it's really important to protect this data for us and for our family, because what is really important to understand is that data um, privacy in, about DNA is about our loved ones. So we all share DNA, so it means we share data privacy. And when we think about that, it, it makes a big difference because GDPR, I, I mean, that's, that's really not enough for us. Really not enough. If you want to protect the fact that, yeah, I love cookies with, with white chocolate. Okay, that's your information. But your DNA is about, let's say you have a twin brother. Well, suddenly your DNA information, you should protect it in his name too, because it's distributed privacy. So people should really think about that, especially because it's distributed in time and space. So if tomorrow I disclose my DNA and I have in 10 years kids with a woman who also disclosed her DNA, I mean, I'd like to be sure that the kid we might have in 10 years, 15 years, well, they are not going to get denied a mortgage because we have the same, you know, genetic deficiency in our DNA. So it's just like encryption matters. Respect your data privacy here, now, and in the future. It does really matter. So people should really be aware of that because tomorrow the cost of DNA sequencing will be so cheap that even during a, a job interview, your boss could take your your mug and just like check um, if you're really suitable for the job. <laughs> terrifying. I, That's I just, very terrifying. <laughs> Can I just ask what what actually happens when someone is getting their, their DNA tested using you guys? I mean, what's the start to finish process in terms of what you actually have to do and the timings and all of that? Mm -hmm. um, so um, it's we have no image, no video, but uh, I have a saliva collection kit here um, in my bag. So basically you spit in the tube, you just send it back to the lab. Uh, we sequence the sample and then we have uh, all this DNA data. So imagine a giant jigsaw puzzle. It's just massive. It's a lot of data. So for instance, the encyclopedia of you, six billion letters, if you would read your own DNA, A, T, C, G, one day every second, day and night, it would take roughly 180 years to read it. <laughs> your, the book of you is just like, it's massive. So this is only the first step. Uh, the, the game is to take all this data and then reconstruct your genome. So basically all your chromosome sequence. Once we have that, it's only the beginning of the analysis. We check where you have some kind of typos, what we call mutation. And with all these typos, we go back to our database of all the, I would say, the genetic knowledge. And we say, well, this typo does not matter, but that, that one does matter. Mm -hmm. Maybe that one is a red one. It's linked to a you know, pathogenic mutation that might impact your health. And we do report that. And we do it in a way which is, which is also really new. Um, so far, if you go to competitors, you will have access to only a small part of your data. And the way it's presented, it's just like, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit tough. It, it's difficult to understand. You have massive reports, sometimes 500 pages of reports. And, and I, I, I feel really bad for people that are obliged to go through this. So we, we do provide a bubble chart of your risk. So imagine bubbles, which are red. So you have a massive risk. I, I, I don't know for, let's say, I, I hope not, but let's say you have a risk, a very important risk to develop type 2 diabetes. It would be one big red bubble in the middle of the screen. And let's say you have two, well, increased risk. It would be two orange bubble around. And then you have some green bubble because the risk is is low and then you have some blue bubbles around because it's the mutation that want to do some good. It's protective effect for this guy. Yeah. So well, imagine this kind of bubble chart and then you're just like, well, I'm going to focus on the bad guys here. So you click on the first red bubble and you open 
your particular panel. And here you have a summary about, okay, type 2 diabetes, increased risk because of that, of that, of that. And then you can zoom onto a detailed report because we do have, among our customers, believe it or not, but we do have geneticists. And they, 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 <laughs> they come to <laughs> yeah yeah they come to us because of this future proofing and because also of the the depth of analysis and they have access to everything so they can go to this single tiny base among six billion and say yeah I know that one yeah it's linked to this paper yeah it's linked to this entry in this database and and, and they can just like check everything if they want why is it so important because we come with good news very often and sometimes we we come with less good news uh, and there is something to do there is a risk to mitigate and we need we absolutely need to push the right uh, information to the genetic counselor that will sign a report and will say yeah this is where you are this is what you should do and this information it should be accurate it should be accurate when people provide an information which is not there is there is a problem in the way well, you identify and mitigate the risk. So our responsibility is to bring the best of genetic analysis to make sure that uh, the medical staff can do their job. Uh, so far, there is a big gap because most of the people, they don't have access to the right tools. Uh, and even the people that they, they go to the medical staff, the medical staff, sometimes they say, yeah, there is no test for that, or I don't have enough information here, so I can guess given your ethnicity, background, family story, but it's not information. It's, uh, we need to be evidence-based here. So we have this approach, which is we future-proof all these results, we encrypt them, we protect your privacy, but at the same time, we want to make it easy to understand, and that was kind of, it was a challenge because genetics is not so simple. Mm -hmm. So to provide all the diagrams that make sense and that yet you can understand right away, uh, that is something really, really important to do. So we are developing all the video tutorial or all, all the, the guide uh, so people feel really empowered. So is that a use case for this information then? Is somebody goes to their doctor, they've got something, there's something going on, um, and I guess it's just like a really enhanced medical history. Like if you choose to share that information, is that something that people would do? Yeah. So basically we are an ally. Uh, we, we help the, the, the GPs, we help the genetic counselor when, when mm -hmm. they don't have the right weapon or the right information. Mm -hmm. we, we try to reconcile everyone uh, because in genetic testing, uh, you, can, you can give me any name of any uh, competitor. I will always point the finger to, to the loser. There is always a loser, and most of the time it's the final user. So that, that's, if, if it would be only business, that's okay, but it's people, it's people that mm -hmm. might suffer, it's people whose family, uh, for instance, we have, we have a consumer which um, got, um, unfortunately, a kid with a, a genetic syndrome. When you go through the diagnostic odyssey, when, when you don't know what it is, and it takes years to find it and year after year day after day you see your kids suffering and you just you cannot you know integrate the right health community you cannot identify the right charity uh, to work with it's just like it's it's not it's not good i mean um so um here what, what we do is typically to generate a report and work with the with the medical staff to help um because we believe that to give the right information you need all possible information and you need the best of the genetics methods and to explain it not only in a in a easy to understand way because we deserve this this actionability and and you know the fact that it should be direct we should understand that we we need that but also the depth the completeness of all this information for the medical staff so they can also explain it with their words and they can take responsibility for the diagnostic for the treatment something that if i understand correctly is quite different about the circogene services that you do full gen genomic sequencing which means that the entire person's entire genetic code is, is sequenced and therefore can be analysed. Most consumer genetic testing kits do g uh, genotyping, which is where they look for specific genes that are known to have 
a causal relationship with certain conditions. Why, why the extra step? Yeah, you, you, you can sequence only uh, the, the genes, what we call exome sequencing. You can sequence the whole genome, all the bases, including the one which are not supposed to vary from one human being to another one. Um, or you can do genotyping. Genotyping is just a way to zoom on few positions which are known to be linked to particular disease. So, for instance, 23andMe is doing genotyping, um, if I remember well, using the Illumina V5 uh, chip. So basically what they do is they check only a few positions in your genome, Z let's say 0.1%. Uh, why is it not so perfect? Because we have a knowledge about our DNA which is evolving extremely quickly. So if tomorrow you say, oh, we, have, we suspect this kind of risk in, in my family, and you go back to the data, well, maybe the data you need to, well, extremely accurately quantify your risk, well, this data is not there because we have information about 0.1% of your chromosome, if you wish. So what we do is we sequence everything and we strongly uh, push people to sequence everything. Why? Because it means that the encyclopedia of you is written, is here, is available, is future-proof, is protected. So when tomorrow, next year, in 10 years, we have this fantastic AI able to protect your health by analyzing 10 million positions in the genome, well, we can implement it right away. And it might do a big, big difference. So what we, what we say is that we need all the raw data and we need the right tool to translate this raw data into biological knowledge. And that, that does matter. Of course, there is a cost which is linked to that. But people should think about that. You sequence your genome once in your life. It's not that expensive. It's probably your budget for coffee this year, something like this. Mm. And it's, I, I would uh, completely recommend to do that as early as possible. Because if you have, well, let's say, a big risk, you want to know early on, okay, I have a big risk, I'm going to face it, I'm going to avoid it. And these are the actions I'm taking right here, right now, because I want to avoid that. I don't want to develop this disease, I, I just want to optimize my life expect expectancy. And at the same time, the fact that I identify this risk, maybe it means something for my kids. So maybe I will also screen them and protect them. So it's really important to, uh, to understand that, yeah, you're doing some blood test from time to time. Uh, here, it's just like, instead of looking at the speed of your car, you, you open the car, you check every single part. You, you have a look on the engine. You, you just check every single piece in order to find weaknesses or not. And, and it's really important when you have a high risk to do it early on. It's just like, if you do this small nudge, this small change in your in your day-to-day -day life, maybe you will avoid this risk by, you know, you will never see this risk. And it's really important. So to have this raw data and this complete raw data may, makes a big change because tomorrow with new methods, uh, you can directly apply these right away and open your eyes about all this risk and optimize the way you you want to live. This, I mean, it's interesting. The, the uh, so the BRCA genes, mm -hmm. uh, BRCA one and two, are obviously uh, quite famously associated with your risk of breast cancer. And, and the reason, as I understand it, is that they're actually tumor suppressing genes. But if they malfunction, they can't suppress tumors. And mm -hmm. um, so it's not that they cause cancer; it's that they're, if they malfunction, they have an inability to suppress it. But I was, I was looking at um, some interesting research that said that those are those pay a, a, play an important role in your propensity to um, suffer from breast cancer at some point in your life. But there are 70 other genes that also play a role. Mm -hmm. And so by simply sequencing BRCA, you are, you do get a good indication if there is a if there is a, a genetic if there's a genetic malfunction. But you're ignoring these 70 other genes, which okay individually don't pay as play as big a role, but together can actually also dramatically increase your risk too. And I suppose that's part of it too, is the advantage of sequencing everything is that you can see the full picture rather than a few sort of particularly notorious genes. 
I was just going to say, um, on that same point, you gave a really interesting analogy of exploring a forest, I think, the last time we were mm-hmm. having a coffee. this That might be something that's interesting yeah, to listen to. Many analogies here. <laughs> it can be a forest, it, it can be an iceberg. But, uh, if we take the iceberg, basically BRCA1 and BRCA2, you, you have three mutations uh, which are the tip of the iceberg. So when um, 23andMe, they do genotyping, they have a look on these three uh, mutation in BRCA1 and BRCA2. But wh- why these three mutations? Because the tip of the iceberg is really high, is just like, is really narrow, and these three mutations are really rare, but when you do have them, they are extremely penetrant. So it means that they are automatically linked to a very high uh, risk of developing breast cancer. So uh, it's a case of, you remember Angelina Jolie? So when you have this mutation, you should really do something. You should really do something about it. It will change the frequency of your exam. It will change a lot of things. Once you mitigate the risk, you're good, but it's something which is very important. But this iceberg is big. Uh, currently, the researcher um, in, in the field of breast cancer are they are convinced that, that you have hundreds, thousands of oh, really? other mutations that um, significantly contribute to the to the risk. So, uh, for instance, in circadian, the breast cancer uh, polygenic risk score, well, it does it does include hundreds of other mutations. We would not do it with three mutations. Why? Because it's we, it's not it's not good enough. It's it's really not good enough, and and it's just a bit annoying to see that FDA can can tolerate uh, the, this kind of test because uh, for us, it's, if people, they see no mutation in this three uh, position, they wrongly think that, oh yeah, I'm protected. No, there is a, there is a whole iceberg below. You, you know that the tip of the iceberg is flat for you. Okay, these three mutations are not here, but maybe you have many others that all together contribute even more. Um, so yeah. most of the people, they should really be aware of what the results of this kind of genotyping test are, and they should uh, raise their expectations. So I know when we think about genetic testing, a lot of what we talk about is risk mitigation. I, or, or not risk mitigation necessarily, but risk awareness. I have, These genes, therefore, have a higher propensity or are more likely to develop Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or... Or, or whatever is you don't see much about um more positive analysis you know oh if you eat carrots you'll you know never need to sleep again that kind of thing <laughs> is that not a particularly kind of you know is that not particularly big in genetics at the moment can uh can tests determine that sort of thing well i uh, i i don't know um yeah, well, my job is for sure to make sure that my my customers are going to live longer and healthier. So I would say just like my, I'm really stubborn guy, but I want to provide uh, the best mitigation action. I, I'm completely obsessed with that. So um, we discussed before about the analogy of the blindfold. So what I really want to uh, to share here is that we are in a car, the car is moving forward, and we are driving with a blindfold because we don't know our genetics. We, we don't know our predisposition. We don't know if there is a tree in the middle of the road. So it's really important to remove this blindfold. And, and if there is a risk, if there is something in front of us, we should take actions right now. Uh, and that's really the first stuff we deliver. Uh, we really work hard on, on genetic uh, panel, which are providing this information. You open your eyes, is there any tree or, or car or wall in front of you? And you have to avoid it. I think in order to live longer and healthier, you really need to avoid to die right now, right here. And it's just like, <laughs> it's the first thing you have to do. And then later on, you can optimize. You can optimize your lifestyle. Every single human being got the perfect diet, for instance. What is this diet? Well, we, we can deduce a lot of things. And we, we can even deduce, okay... I'm genetically predisposed to be good in this kind of sport. So, uh, for instance, w- one of our customers, um, she was really surprised because she saw, yeah, well, w- what is this blue line here? Well, it means that you you have a very strong advantage if you are, per- well, doing this kind of sport. You won't 
need to train a lot, you will be just like naturally good at this kind of sport. And she was just like, oh, yeah, I'm not interested in sport, uh, but that's good to know because I will, I will tell my brother maybe to get tested for this particular stuff because he's really interested in this sport. So it's not all red and bad. And no, we do have some strength. Uh, at Circagin, however, we want to provide the, the highest added value, which is we want you to avoid to die first and then later on we want to optimize your 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 lifestyle and diet and so on but it's just like it's coming just after that's a very impressive mission statement we would like you to not die <laughs> that's quite good. i like that as a kind of title of the um, either you know i guess like a, a talk or a uh, an argument in in genetics like death prevention or life extension it's kind of, it feels oh, like it has a kind of It's a bold statement, I, I know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the, the goal is really to make sure that we, uh, we provide an accurate picture about your, your risk. So we, we really do want to provide actions to make sure that you can overcome your, your predisposition and, and have the best tools to do that. And, and currently on the market, there is a big gap. Uh, if you look at what the other uh, companies are doing, well, it's it's really it's simply not accurate. It's simply not good enough you know, from a scientific point of view. And most of the time, even if you have information, it's not actionable. You do, you don't know what to do tomorrow, and it's just uh, useless stress for you. So uh, we 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 think that it's really important to have genetic testing, which is complying with four key values. So it should be affordable in the sense that to have access to all your information should not be the cost of your house, should not be the cost of your car, should be the cost maybe of a bike, uh, maybe of a microwave oven, but it's a lifetime investment. We really think that genetic testing should be accurate. So we, we must uh, provide the best possible accuracy. If we say something, potentially there are some consequences. If we give this information to your genetic counselor, we should be right. We should check 30 times what we say. It's really, really important. And, and when we give news, or including bad news, it should be actionable. We should be able to do something about that. Uh, if we have bad news and we can't do anything about it, is it a good idea to build this kind of genetic panel? I'm not sure. Uh, and as we, we discussed before, the, the fourth pillar, the, the fourth um, key value here is uh, the future-proof privacy of data. Because uh, it's not only your data, but the data of your family, of your, of your kids, of your parents, and so on. So it's really important to respect these, and it's the core value of circuiting. Actionability, affordability, accuracy, and privacy. You've mentioned uh, how important accuracy is a few times, uh, and I know that one of the things Circuitine does is is you you essentially look at a look at a genetic sequence. I think twenty eight times per test. Thirty. Thirty times a test. Well, we 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 check every single position thirty times. Yeah. And is that is is um, not knowing too much about uh, genetic accuracy? Is that the is that the main point of accuracy, or are there, are there other sort of techniques on top of that? <clears throat> so um, yeah, that that's really important to have accurate raw data. So if you have mistake and the sequencing is not perfect, so I can read in your book, okay, here in this particular gene, let's say BRCA one A T T C G A T, and I can be wrong. No, it was not an A here. It's a T, and it well, bad luck. It might be um, that. It's a false positive result. You have this particular base and you think that, well, mm, that's a bad mutation. And you did use something which is wrong. So it's important to have accurate raw data. And once you have accurate raw data, because maybe you're going to read every single base 30 times, uh, it's what, what we call the depth of sequencing. Well, you need to integrate all this information into something which is maybe a polygenic risk score or something like this. And then this particular method should be accurate. So it means if I say, oh, I'm sorry, you have 72% chance of developing this particular cancer, it should be 72% uh, 
maybe plus or minus few percent, but it should be these. It should not be. I, if I say you have 72% chance of developing these, and the real value is 3%, it's just like it's a lot of worry for, for something which is not true. So the accuracy of the method itself is really, really important. And, and currently, most of the, of the people in genetic testing, if you look at any of their website, they talk about the technical accuracy. They say, yeah, I can sequence 10 times, 20 times, 50 times your DNA, and I reach a 19, well, 99.9% .9 accuracy. So it means they are wrong uh, every 1,000 bases, they are wrong at least once. So 99.9% .9 is just like, it's not good enough mm. from a technical accuracy point of view. And what they never say, obviously, not one. Huh? You can check all the, the different people providing genetic testing services. They never provide the accuracy for the final answer. Oh, I'm sorry, you have a higher risk of developing breast cancer and my accuracy is this. Why? Because it's, it's just like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do that. And there is a science behind, and you have to verify, you have to validate this. So it's just like they, they don't want to do it because it's too expensive, uh, and they prefer to do quick money, uh, and, but in the end, it's your health. So I just like, I, I talk about accuracy, the final accuracy. So when we say something, um, if we are 80% accurate, that's really good, but we should say, yeah, we have 20% chance of being wrong here. When we say it's black, well, actually, it's, it's white in 20% of, of the chance. And we really do think that we should give this kind of information along with the results because it helps people to take the right decision. Mm. And if a genetic counselor say, yeah, hmm, you have this kind of data, this kind of conclusion from your um, supplier, uh, well, I, I, I disagree here. The penetrance is not that high. We, we, this is his level of accuracy, okay, but I, he can really make an informed decision. Currently, when you read, I tested many, many, many genetic testing services company. Uh, when you look at the report, well, you don't have this kind of information. It's a really long report. They, you don't have access to the accuracy. You don't know how good is this method. Mm. And that does matter. And so when you say, um, when you separate actionable and accuracy, actionable is about presenting the data in a way that a, a geneticist who, who's going to intervene medically will be able to assimilate and, and, and use it. Yeah, and actionable can be as simple as a pair of glasses. If you are genetically predisposed to get blind by 75 years, all, well, you, you have to know and you have to take measures. So it can be to, um, to help determining which kind of mitigation action you can, you can make. It can be, yeah, you have to take this medicine rather than this one. So we try to go as far as possible. Mm. Um, so we, we are currently uh, in the process of developing many, many different uh, uh, panel, including some pharmacogenomic panel. So pharmacogenomic is a way we can deduce from your DNA how you're going to metabolize drugs, drugs that are here to help you to fight a cancer, yeah. to uh, help you to fight a disease, or even what is really important is, yeah, we remove this blindfold. You need to know if there are some allergies which are deadly allergies for you uh, because it does happen. It did happen several times uh, among our customers. Well, according to your DNA, you are violently allergic to this particular chemical. It's, it's kind of rare, but actually it's used in, in British hospital. So just like, this is your bracelet. We wrote on, on these, yeah, I am allergic to this and that. This is actionable. So it can be really it's simple things yes, yes. and it can be more complicated things. Yeah. But actionable for us, it means that potentially if you have this particular predisposition for uh, a heart attack, there are some type of earth attack that we can now predict 30 minutes in advance. So our action here would be, we recommend you to buy this particular wearable. And when there is an alert, you just like, you call an ambulance right now. And that's it. We mitigated the risk. So actionable is wow. really wide. Is that, is that real now? It's real now. So wait a second. So there, so there are certain types of um, genetic predispositions to heart attacks that have particular, um, like, uh, biometric archetypes that you can give a good uh, indication of half an hour beforehand and there are 
wearables right now that someone can buy that would highlight those biometrics, right? Correct. I just can't believe that that's a thing right now. That's happening right now. That's someone could, you know, could go out and, and, and do that and, and reduce their, their risk of death yeah. significantly. And, so, and it's that combination of genetic insight and, and, a, and, a, and a device that measures, is it with cardiac output, electrical signals, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a watch, actually. Uh, I, 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 will, I will send you a... Um, yeah, I don't have this watch. I have, a, you know, this basic one. Yeah. But it's already useful. Uh, and in the future, you will have... You will, what we really want to do is to reconcile and to connect you with your DNA and just like link your DNA to actions and, and your day-to-day life. I mean, DNA is natural. You, you should be able to talk to yourself, to your DNA. I mean, all these wearables are just an extension of how you can discuss with your own DNA. And, and actionability is, I, I can't disclose too much, but uh, in Circagene, we are developing some technology to make sure that you make the most of your DNA. Uh, the, this watch, which is able to... Uh, predict uh, your heart attack 30 minutes in advance is just like it's just the beginning uh, there are many many things we can do uh, when I talk about allergy pharmacogenomics and so on there are many many things we can do and I strongly believe that even the way you um, you buy your clothes the way you eat the way you behave the way you relax the way you drink all this stuff you you will know uh, what you should do, what is good for you. You can decide to do it or not. But for sure, people will decide to mitigate their health risk. It's a ma- massive thing uh, I-, I see coming. And people will probably buy in the future um, stuff according to what their body wants, <laughs> actually, or what their body needs. And it's n- we will be out of the red zone of, yeah, mitigating health risk. Well, this is a bit frightening. It will be more into the life uh, optimization, lifestyle optimization. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. And it's bringing to mind, um, okay, so a a couple of thoughts are going through my head. It seems that the uh, development of this industry is going to be based on two things, um, the identification of risk and the identification of opportunity. Um, so I'm really interested to hear your take on on how those two are going to uh, interact with one another. It seems that risk is kind of the the, the factor that people um, are most bothered about to begin with, and often is the thing that pushes industries forward. But because it, because of the very fact that you're um, sequencing the entire genome, there's going to be a certain amount of catch-all that uh, you scoop up a lot of opportunity in that as well. Um, and I, I was reading a, a book recently called Hacking Darwin uh, by a, gene- a geneticist called Jamie Metzl, where the author puts forward this really interesting idea around how something that begins as the selection against um, high-risk genetic traits for, um, you know, for, for uh, diseases and whatnot that you know, any parent would obviously want to make sure that their their kids uh, don't have a high risk of, of getting in, in IVF. Um, and how quickly uh, the progression of um, genetic testing technology and, and IVF technology could change so that parents have the opportunity to now select for, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Attractive traits. Uh, so whether that be things like high IQ, things like um, strong physical prowess, whatever it might be. Fascinated to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, that's that's a tricky one. Um, what you're talking about is eugenism. So basically, um, you select uh, the right genetic um, traits. Um, it's it's really we we need to be careful because we will have everybody will have the tools of genetic testing we we could do so many things such as oh i have this embryo and oh by the way i want this this baby to be blonde and with blue eyes and i want this and that and that. it it could go wrong really quickly yeah yeah it's reminding me of monocultures in agriculture so you know the the mm-hmm. the kind of problems that are coming up now with um genetic modification of, of crop types is, okay, well, if there's a virus that affects this one crop type or a pest that um, infects this one crop type, everything is screwed. And the, uh, the genetic diversity that, you know, billions of years of evolution have blessed us with 
we might accidentally curtail that with the use of um, genetics and genomic testing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm geneticist and, and for me what is good is genetic diversity. So it means we maximize uh, the probability of survival of human species and our chances are going down currently. So, so it's really important to, to keep the genetic pool as rich as possible. Sure. So it's... For me, um, if individual, if people are able to select in a really powerful way um, their, okay, the genetic background of their kids and so on, it could go wrong extremely quickly because not only the individual individual could do that, but also governments, states, and, and, and where are we going? I mean, imagine... During World War II, if Nazi could have had access to that, wow, it could have been really bad really quickly. I mean, human genome is, is classified as a, as a mass destruction weapon by United Nations because we can really use it against people and we can also shape the future of humanity. So I think it's really important in our job to, to have ethics, you know, as the first question. Uh, and it did happen before to me that I, I did some stuff and I was just like, is this right? Um, should I do that? And, and we should keep this in mind all the time. So what is absolutely legitimate is, is to uh, have a look on your individual health risk and try to mitigate this. But if it's something which is more for the comfort and say, yeah, I want my kid to have blue eyes, is it good? Um, think about that because we enter in a in a period where the DNA sequencing is is really getting cheap. Uh, it's cheaper and cheaper, and in the future, the next re revolution might be we can modify this DNA as we want. So once you have the read-write access on on DNA on your DNA on on your kid's DNA. Wow, what will happen in 50 years? Uh, can, can you buy a virus to, uh, I, I mean, to change the color of your eyes? Can you uh, buy a virus in, in the market to become resistant to this cold or that <laughs> one? And, uh, and It's terrifying. Well, it's terrifying. Uh, and I'm thinking about these two babies with this Chinese, you know, research, researcher that he modified using CRISPR-Cas9 technology uh, some, some genes. And I'm just like thinking about what will happen in the future. Mm. Uh, if you want to have uh, a kid which is winning gold medals in Olympic Games, and we know the genetic basis of, you know, sport performance, well, at least partially. Um, will people do that? Will people modify the kids they want to have according to that? Will people... Uh, just select one embryo uh, among plenty of embryos and to make sure that they have the optimum baby. I hate this, this thought, but it's, it's really important to think that it, it will be a question soon. Mm. I was just going to um, add to that. So one of the hypotheses put forward in this book is that um, the things that are kind of inconceivable to us now, the things that feel like very clear boundaries in ethics they might end up as uh, the collateral damage of a race to the, the bottom. So whereas, again, you know, you would, I would imagine that a lot of people draw a line in their mind saying, well, you know, anything that would keep my child out of danger, out of harm's way, those would be the types of genetic modifications that I might be happy to make or comfortable to make. But if in 50 years' time, there's a good chance that 25 out of the 30 kids in your class may have had their embryos selected for high IQ... Well, then where is that, that where, where is the ethics, where does the ethics lie that uh, dictate whether or not you would want your child to be able to compete in that classroom or not? Mm -hmm. um, and you can, I can, I can imagine any number of uh, areas of genomics where, I mean, you mentioned um, physical um, achievements, so, you mm -hmm. know, Olympic gold medalists. If everyone else is running at a higher speed, does it become the norm to um, to, to want to make mm. those modifications yourself that, as well? That makes mm. me think of Brave New World, which we spoke about on the on one of our previous episodes, science fiction um, and dystopian futures. And Brave New World, that that's exactly what I think about. Right, where they right. actually like they have classes of alpha, beta, delta, gamma, all of that, like and, a caste system. Uh, yeah, and basically the alphas are like genetically superior, and they've created 
different um, people genetically to provide different roles to society, and they basically discriminate them on that way. Yeah, we, it's we need, very dark. Yeah, it's very dark, and we need to make sure that this genetic competition is is not happening. I mean, it it would be normal to try to um, erase some obvious defect and, and I love genetic diversity but there are some mutations which well I, I don't see any benefit it's just like leading to a syndrome which is severe and so on and, and some of this mutation yeah we understand why okay we have a, a stop codon here so it's cutting the protein it's not functional for this reason and so on but well if we go beyond this case where it's obviously kind of defective mutation um, all the rest we have to admit that in genetics, we don't know much. We have so much to discover. Um, so one mutation can be, yeah, seems to be really bad in one context, but not in another one. And uh, as you said, we, we don't know that. So if we make the wrong decision and we erase one particular, you know, the diversity at one particular position in the, in the genome, maybe we will pay it uh, later on. So... It's really important not to uh, act on what is not, I, I would say, the defects, the defective mutation. It's where we should go. Uh, all the rest, for me, is just like probably not legit. There's a there's a huge question here. Again, it comes down to this um, the sort of specific period of time in which we operate, right? Like, what if in a hundred years' time, there's a physical environment on the Earth which requires a um a genetic trait which we've deselected for a hundred years previously oh my god um so <laughs> when i was a student i i was working some genetics lab and there was this amazing conference so i i just like i ran to this conference it was in the same building in paris and and i discovered a guy that is um he's he's, he's dead now but he was fantastic stephen j gould uh, oh, yeah, Stephen Jay Gould is, is just like an amazing evolutionist. And it, it was so violent, the, the discussion, because he was saying something like, OK, guys, now the evolution is not doing his job anymore. So we keep people and defects and we have this genetic burden and so on. But it's our responsibility as a species to really take control of the evolutive process and to shape the genome of the, of the future human beings. And people were just like screaming. They were just like so upset, so pissed off because they were just like, yeah, you want to create monsters. You want, yeah, it's just eugenism. How you, you want to do that? And he was just like, just face the truth. The challenges ahead are huge. We need to go to ocean. We need to go to space. Our body is not meant to, to survive in this environment. So it means that we need to create we need to create the, the, the human subspecies for tomorrow so our humans can survive. Uh, we have no choice here. Uh, we should not stay on Earth. We should colonize other planets. And we can't do that. We are just like, we are extremely uh, well evolved to survive at the you know, level of sea with nice temperature and so on. But we are very extremely fragile. That's the truth. We are not supposed to uh, survive easily on Mars and other planets. We need to do something. Uh, so should we modify the next generation of astronauts so they are radiation resistant? Mm. Uh, sh should we do that? And, and P I remember during this conference, it was so interesting because he was just like alone and perfectly quiet and perfectly absolutely certain that that was the right thing to do because when... Um, the survival of, of the species will be at stake. You will have to do that. Um, I don't know. Personally, I don't know. I think it's just like, wow, it seems to be a long shot. Mm. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that even in an episode about genetics, we got space in. So well done, guys. We did it. Um, <laughs> Always trying to get space keep, in. Keeping that record going. Uh, it's really interesting because I, I, part of the sort of talk about going to Mars and, and, and the sort of diversification of planets as a species and the fact that as soon as you go to another planet you reduce massive reduce our species risk of dying out from mass extinction events to basically zero just just by doubling them or just by increasing the planets we can occupy by one but i guess the question is if you if you create a sort of a, a sort of subspecies i don't know what the right term is but as a, a sort of a, yeah a, 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 another form of human life that is designed for mars 
is it the human is it human anymore i mean is it is it are we are we uh, lengthening the lifetime of our species or are we creating life is is that if we succeeded in this suppose in a sense well i i think genetics will not really i mean for the next few years or tens of years will will not really challenge the idea of species but other technology will probably so if you have if you can think about technology where you interface directly with a machine uh, and you can you can copy part of your memories or even consciousness or stuff like this i mean the idea mm. the idea of being human is going to evolve massively in the next 100 years if you come back on earth in 100 years you will be just like so lost you you will be you will be just like oh what is that is it a robot? No, no, no. There is still a human brain in that. Oh, really? But I, I mean, uh, we will be so lost. Uh, so uh, our idea of, of human, what is a human, we will evolve a lot. And as we push boundaries, uh, let's say that we push, let's pick one, uh, longevity. Uh, one good way to become uh, immortal would be just like to play with, you know, uh, cell cycle so basically to have a kind of chronic cancer and to to have a, a way to overcome our genetic barrier in in terms of longevity but if you are a stack of cells let's say 10 tons of cells in a fish tank are you still human even if you're mm. conscious i mean we, whatever the 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 boundary you, you you're going to cite it's just like it's going to change really quickly uh, and, and most of the people, they don't understand, but the last century was really physics-oriented. This century is for biology, uh, and it will have massive impact on how we perceive ourselves. What are your personal ethical boundaries or considerations when it comes to genetics? What is your what is for you the line you wouldn't cross or... No, I mean, not that making you sound like a mad scientist, but no, no, what, what is... What is you, you've obviously thought a lot about this. Where do you think we as a society should set that boundary. Wow, that's a tough one. Huh? That's a tough <laughs> one. I think my mission, my, my mission in life is to fight disease and death. If, uh, if you want to have a kind of cosmetic surgery, but genetics based, I'm not the right guy. I, I just want to fight death and disease. Uh, if if you come and you say, oh, by the way, I want to grow horns on my head because I think it's beautiful. I don't think it's the right uh, use of genetics. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a lot of things to do to fight the bad, the bad guys. I mean, there are plenty of people suffering in, in, in the world and they don't have access to uh, the right... Uh, health uh, services and so on so let, let's begin there uh, i i mean um then when the ethics will come it means that maybe we are not at, at the right place uh maybe it it did show up several times in in my life i mean several times i was just like yeah i did this genetic test and and it could be used in the wrong way but most of the time it it fortunately it's not that um i mean that's important in my day-to-day -day, day -day life, but I oblige myself to always ask, okay, how can we use this result or this technology, this method against uh, the, the, the interest of, of, my, of my user, of my, of my customer? And that's important to keep these, you know, little voice in your head all the time uh, because it can go wrong so quickly with genetics. Uh, and that was only part one. So, a lot, lot more to cover. I, um, what did you guys think? There's so much to cover. What did you guys think was what really resonated I mean, with you in the conversation? Can we just stop and think for a minute that there's going to be a wearable that you can program with your data and it's going to figure out your predisposition to heart attacks? Yeah. So, it's going to beep and tell you, actually, for someone like you on you know a day like this, when your heart is going at this rate, in about half an hour, you're looking like you might have a heart attack sure, you should just call yourself in that's crazy absolutely incredible yeah. i think that's that's really interesting because i know that the sort of traditional signs of heart attack mm. have always you know the like the left arm getting sore and going a bit numb have yeah. always been um they're actually very male as this is what i've read in okay. the, the way that women experience heart attacks is very different to the way that men do 
And so a lot of the time women don't realize they're having a heart attack because they're not feeling this like numbness in the arm or, or this like pain in their chest. It, it manifests in a different way. So to have something like that, which will be able to tell you like, by the way, you are having a heart attack or you're about to have one, please yeah. get yourself to emergency services. I mean, that's going to save lives and that's an amazing thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Amy? What, what really kind of caught your attention? What caught my attention? Well, I was really excited about just the fact that they are looking at the full genome, genomic genomic sequencing. Yeah. So they're able to look at things that we haven't quite identified a specific gene, like certain predispositions that we don't know where that gene sits, like cancer. There are types of cancer that we're not really sure where it sits, but they're going to be able to, or they are able to look at this and, and look at your full um, sequence of genes and sort of point out where those predispositions are. That's pretty cool. Also, as a side note, I, I got very excited when we were talking about um, the potential of changing one's DNA to be adaptable to space. <laughs> I mean, come no, on, guys. I yeah. am up for that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, was, that was really, really cool. So yeah, so so that's the that's the end of part one of our interview with Francois Payet uh, from from Circagene. Uh, part two is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, first up, we have a Christmas special, um, and then yeah, part two coming your way. So stay tuned. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of What Comes Next. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We're trying to get the word out about the show, so if you have time, please share it with friends or leave a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. If you have any questions about what we've discussed on this episode or would like to talk about your own technology on the podcast, then drop us an email. We're at wcn at grantree.co.uk. Thank you very much again. See you next time.